think it's critical for us to remember that everything we do on our cushion and on our walking path has indeed something to do, in fact, everything to do with our lives, both personally and professionally. You know, it's when, we, when you hear us talk about the foundations of mindfulness, it can perhaps sound a little grandiose or a little abstract. In truth, the classroom, uh, the foundations of mindfulness essentially are just the classroom of our life, where we learn about what leads to suffering, about what leads to the end of suffering. And I think this was one of probably the most precious gifts that has come out of this teaching, this encouragement to embrace this life, encouragement to look deeply within it. I wonder if you've ever found yourself immersed in some great fabrication in your mind, emotional, thought-wise, immersed in some great story or fantasy or obsession, could be pleasant or unpleasant, and then suddenly waking up at some point and saying, how on earth did I get here? Again. (laughs) Sometimes that word comes to, how did I end up here? How did I end up in this? And Sometimes what happens in our minds can seem like a kind of accident, you know, like a mystery, you know. It's not like we got up this morning and said, it's a great day to be lost in fantasy or a fantastic day to be depressed or, you know, I think I'll just spend my day aversive today. But don't get up in the morning that way, and yet... It seems this stuff seems to happen. Repeatedly, repeatedly, we wake up and say, How did it happen? Now, I think one of the, for me, one of the wonderful kind of gifts of this practice is that it really tells us there aren't accidents. It's not a mystery how we got there. In fact, we can kind of unpack it some look at it clearly, and we begin to sense the process through which our world, not just our mind or our hearts, but the way our world is constructed moment to moment. And the way of understanding that, of course, is through our practice, through looking at just what is happening. Now, the foundations of mindfulness are not hierarchical, they're not linear, you know, although we talk about them in a kind of segmented way. The reality is, of course, the foundations of mindfulness are all interwoven, body, feeling, mind, factors. They're all interwoven, playing uh, with each other, moment to moment. Now, we started the retreat by really emphasizing just this collecting, the gathering, the calming down, the mindfulness of breathing, and then expanding that first foundation of mindfulness into being aware of our whole body, everything that happens within 
the life of this body. In a way, you know, we could stop there. Because, you know, in a way, the, the Buddha said, you know, everything there is to be understood can be understood within the length of this body. All the other foundations of mindfulness are actually playing out there. But the contemplation of the body or that connection with our body, I think, is also really a kind of open doorway into starting to see more and more clearly the play and the impact of the second foundation of mindfulness, which in Pali is called Vedana. And I'm using the Pali word here because, as with many Pali words, it's very hard to find a direct English translation. You know, the, the way that we translate it always feels associated with something else. But often the way that Vedana is translated is feeling tone, texture. Now, the, the texture of the moment, the felt sense of the moment. Now, I think it's very important to make a distinction between Vedana or this feeling tone and emotion. Because Vedana or this texture, this feeling tone, is certainly part of emotion but not the same as emotion. Because emotion, when we look at it clearly, involves many factors of association, of body, of thought. Vedana is so much more simple. This simply, this simple, bare, sensory texture of each perception. And it's so important to get a sense of this because actually this is the beginning of this process of how did I end up here? You know, that, this is where it all starts. So let's get a sense. I, John was speaking about this last night, this word contact. This word contact, when he clapped his hands. Before the thought. Before the ideas about what we've heard or seen. There is contact. Now, what contact is, it is the meeting of the sense door, eyes, ears, body, mind, tongue, uh, nose. It's the meeting of the sense door with the sensory object and consciousness. These three come together. They, they arise together. You know, you clap your hand, there's the, there's the sound, there's the ear, there's the hearing. You look around you, there's a sight, there, there's the eye, and there's the seeing. There's the mind, there's the thought, there's the thinking. These three come in together. As the Buddha said, the world arises on contact. The world arises, it means our personal world begins to arise at that moment. The world arises on contact, and the foolish seek to pursue contact, and the wise seek to understand it. I think we can get a sense of that, how we can, you know, through our sense doors, really be chasing the world of sensory impressions, always to be, you know, kind of like beggars at the sense doors, almost. The wise seek to understand it. Now, that meeting of the sense door, the sensory information, and the knowing, quite frankly, this is not a problem, right? This is the same for a Buddha as, you know, the quarterback on the Patriots. It's the same. Hmm? doesn't matter. Right? It's not a problem. 
But where then does this actually either lead to suffering or lead to the end of suffering? Now, what is taught in that we're associated with this feeling tone. In those moments of contact, there's a bare feeling tone. You know, there's a sense that's a pleasant. You know, there's a taste of a, being a pleasant sound or a, a pleasant sight or a, a, a new, a, an unpleasant sight or a neutral sight. So this is a kind of bare feeling tones. The pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral. Huh? It runs through everything. You touch, see, feel, think. It's that kind of bare feeling tone, texture within it. Again, not a problem. You know, none of us will have a life where we have only pleasant. None of us will have a life where we have only unpleasant. None of us will have a life where we have only neutral. And the truth is, of course, we are absolutely not in control of the sensory impressions that come our way. Not a problem. So where does it start to actually lead to being a difficulty? It's because the feeling tones get under get hijacked by underlying tendencies. That's when our personal world gets shaped in a very in a way that is very particular to us. You know, so the pleasant sight, sound, taste, touch, thought gets hijacked by the underlying tendency of craving. Yeah, I want more of this. How do I keep it? How do I maintain it? You know, the unpleasant feeling tone gets hijacked by the, un, uh, by the underlying tendency of aversion. I don't want this. You know, I can't bear this. This has to go away. The neutral gets hijacked by the underlying tendency of what is called delusion. <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> but often the way that we experience it is, oh, there's something wrong. There's something missing. Nothing's happening. You know, we get moving, oh, this is boring, it's not worth my attention, you know. And actually the neutral is often the springboard for craving. I need to find something, I need to make something happen. The moment that that underlying tendency, and I'm sure you've seen this in your own mind, I'm sure you've seen it in people you work with, the moment that that underlying tendency starts to be set into motion, it starts to be the beginning of all kinds of impulses, reactions, agitation, you know, how do I keep this, how do I get rid of that? That's when we get into this sort of, you know, this kind of relentless and kind of chronic endeavor to manipulate the moment in a certain way, to have more of this, to have less of this, to to just ignore the neutral, (laughs) dismiss it. It's really important to see that because the closer we can come to that moment of contact, the more we're diving underneath those habitual, chronic reactions, and actually the more free we are in that moment. Because you can see when the mind is captured by aversion, when the mind is captured by craving, when the mind is captured by by delusion, what we really do, we're really caught in the past, don't we? We're caught in our past associations. You know, we're caught in in, in in the habit patterns that are really rooted in these kind of repetitive reactions to the pleasant and the unpleasant and the neutral. So a lot of this practice, you know, is, is actually starting to come closer and closer to that moment of contact. You know, in this tradition, it's said to be the weakest link in the chain of becoming. It's the weakest link in the chain of becoming, becoming angry, becoming excited, becoming this, becoming that. This moment of contact is the weakest link in the chain. Because what we're actually doing is we're liberating Vedana 
from this kind of associated and direct link with what are called these formations of craving and aversion and delusion. We're liberating Vedana, feeling tone, from those links. And that's actually what allows us to meet the present as it is. Free from that whole baggage of how it used to be, what I like, what I don't like, what I can bear, what I can't bear. So it's really paying attention to that in the practice. You know, when a thought arises, when a sound arises, when a sight arises, when a body sensation arises. I mean, you see that in the body so easily, don't you? An unpleasant sensation, how quickly the, you know, you've all done this, you work with this all the time. How quickly the aversion arises, the moment the aversion arises, it's really hard, hard to meet that body sensation. Same in the mind. You know, the moment the aversion or the craving arises, it's really, or the, the delusion arises, it's really hard to meet what is. So this is actually a very, you know, it's a very practical aspect of this teaching, but it's a very powerful one because it's starting to come uproot that whole process of craving, grasping, becoming, I am. Huh? Aversion, you know, grasping hold of the aversion, becoming, I am. It's really getting really much more to the, the kind of the origins, the beginning of that process. And it, it's, it's actually, you know, where, where equanimity comes into being. You know, and, and in this teaching, you know, equanimity is, is really described as a capacity to be equally near all things. Equally near the pleasant, equally near the unpleasant. Equally near the neutral. You know, and sometimes liberation is, is talked about as kind of cooling the fires of craving and aversion. Cooling, cooling the fires of craving and aversion, which actually allows, in a way, it liberates us, it liberates the world to be just as it is in that moment. It's stepping out of the agitated cycles of grasping and becoming. I would encourage you in the practice. You know, it's not like you make, need to make a project out of this. It's not, it's not like it's a particular assignment outside of all other assignments. But just getting it, it's, it's really interesting to get this felt sense in those moments of contact, the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral, and see how quickly that's followed, you know, between this leaning towards or leaning away from or in the face of the neutral just disappearing. That's often what happens. We just disappear. We go into fantasy or daydreams or, or dullness or we get into agitation. You know, I really need to make something happen. You know, sometimes I hear people say this in the past, you know, I'm not getting anywhere, nothing's happening. Life is happening. What do we mean nothing's happening? We mean no event of I is happening. That could be seen as bad news. It could be seen really as incredibly liberating. Incredibly liberating. You know, and, and mindfulness, excuse me if I throw out a personal view here, that, you know, the deepest, the deepest dimensions of mindfulness is actually eventless. And that doesn't mean that nothing's happening, but it means that nothing is being isolated in the flow, in the stream of life, as either happening to me or me making it happen, good, bad, right, wrong. There's a kind of a stream in which nothing is contracted around and there's a kind of eventlessness within that, which is incredibly powerful. 
So just uh, just an encouragement just in the practice today to, you know, sometimes we get a sense of Vedana just by noticing all those moments where we're kind of moving into craving or moving in, uh, into aversion or moving into delusion. We kind of pause in that moment and saying, you know, are we actually kind of a, allowed ourselves to be, allowed Vedana, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, uh, have we allowed the underlying tendencies to be the sort of gatekeeper of our well-being? Can we come back upright, upright, equally present in the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral? You know, this kind of teaching, I think, around Vedana is, is very, well, we won't do this now, but it has very powerful implications in terms of understanding the way our world, anybody's world, is shaped moment to moment and a way out of that, that chain. Don't don't feel like, you know, we overload you with information, you've now got something else to do today. It's not like that, you know. If we're just sitting there thinking, what do I do now? Just come back, be mindful of your breathing, simplify, settle down. You know, let, just bringing this kind of sense of our capacity to be with what is, our capacity to be awake and present. And today in the practice, I'm sure many of you will find that shift happening. You know, some of those clouds start to lift. You know, you actually feel more more immediate, more connected. And, you know, the clouds can come back again, and that's okay. That's what happens. So, again, just taking some moments just to, to, to settle in, to, to calm your body. Find a posture of uprightness. A posture of inner alertness. However your body is sitting, standing, lying down. An inner posture of wakefulness, alertness. Perhaps beginning the sitting with that quite conscious connection with a sense of spaciousness and ease. The silence, the sounds within the silence. Within that, knowing your breathing, knowing your body, knowing all those moments when your attention is drawn to what is arising in your mind, your heart, knowing them all equally.
In the last few minutes of the sitting, just being as wholeheartedly present, awake as you're able to be, just renewing your intention, your commitment to being here, meeting this moment.
that at one point in one of the guided meditations I suggested we, we just try to stay on one half a breath just be present for just the in-breath and maybe if you can manage that this will help us it would be good to try that with sex as well because the mind is incredibly labile in the walking and it's very easy for it to go off and you probably found that you can get from one end of your path to the other and really not have been there for even one second. So try to simply be there with your ear for one breath, this breath, and then the next breath. And again, with a light touch, not sitting on your breath. Um, you don't need to look at your feet. open to, I love the image that uh, Mr. Simic in, in writing us to work with, which is a long view. Okay, so that it's possible to be incredibly spacious in the walking and at the same time grounded. So the feet really kissing the earth, caressing the earth, and the earth caressing right back, just feeling that. But at the same time, so in your body, so open to drinking nearly but totally what's before you. Not a sightseeing just or I am here, but what is before you. And you can play with that and even introduce, as you said, to a little bit of loving kindness from with each step and each space. just play ever so gently so it's not just one more thing to do or two more things but it's another element of, of, of kindness and, and, and presence and one other thing and that is nothing happens, no movement happens without uh, prior intention so if you care to again you can see back the surface of this uh, monolith we the walking, and uh, see if you can be in touch with what gets you started when you're standing. You're standing at one end of the path, and then all of a sudden, somehow, you're propelled forward. Can you be in touch with this sort of mindfully aware of the impulse to begin and the raising of the foot and the moving of it forward? Lifting, moving, bracing, shifting. So, without spilling it out with complicated things to do, when all is said and done, it's just walking. <laughs> it's just walking and knowing. Walking. In the walking. Okay? So, enjoy with your walking.
one other one other thing that has come up, and, and that is inevitably, and we pointed to this in many ways, there is a kind of rubbing up against each other merely by having so many people living here at the same time and often sharing bathrooms, sharing space, you know, uh, uh, and so forth. So w we would like to remind you to err on the side of more consideration or more awareness or more mindfulness than not to the well-being of others. Sometimes it's as simple as when you're walking into your room to take your shoes off if the other person is resting or sleeping before you go in so that you're sensitive to sound. How you close the door is as much a mindfulness practice. How you take a step, uh, whether you unconsciously are banging around. Uh, and, you know, we're all in kind of new territory here. Uh, we're all visitors and we're in each other's presence. So just that element of, uh, of kindness and uh, what's traditionally called you know, consideration of the sensitivities and sensibilities of others. Just for some reason, but it, it, it's very helpful to keep it in mind. Also, just to keep in mind, not to use scented products. Uh, it's very easy to do and very easy to think, well, my products don't smell. <laughs> or they smell nice because I like them. But to sort of just be as conscious of that as well. And of every other element that might arise where um, mm, that kind of rubbing could be um, in some sense um, mitigated by your graciousness. Are in the uh, booth of the group. We know that you are in the